Hello and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. And we don't have a Criterion film this year. We, this year, this week, <laughs> we have decided to instead do our uh, 2019 look back. Yeah. A discussion on the year that was. Yeah, because we're tackling the collection the whole year and it's nice to take a break from that and talk about what's actually current. Yeah, especially around the holidays with this kind of hectic schedule that everyone seems to have, which uh, also explains why the episode's a couple of days late, but also since it's an end-of-year wrap-up, it's kind of nice that it'll be dropping like on or around New Year's Eve, so yeah. like right at the end of the year. So there we go. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to discuss uh, because this year has been... Really interesting. Yes. And and excellent and and frustrating and all sorts of things roll roll into one. So there's a lot to explore and go through. Um, do you want to list the films you want to talk about and then jump in? Just um, so people know what we're going to cover? Sure, sure. Because I, I want to personally talk about uh, the following films. I think they're of note. Yep. Um, Parasite, Uncut Gems, The Lighthouse, Us, Dollarbine is My Name, Knives Out. Yep. Um, there's a few more... I mean, you want to talk about those films, but in addition to that, you've got some others as well? Yeah, a few others I'll probably... I don't know how in-depth I'll go into all of these, but just some I want to... We'll probably, in passing, mention or discuss a little bit. I've got uh, Booksmart, The Day Shall Come, Greener Grass, Ad Astra, The Farewell, Midsommar, uh, Death of Dick Long, Pain and Glory. Okay. And then wouldn't mind discussing uh, briefly Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually... That's also a film I saw. <laughs> yes. It was really good. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of films that I didn't get around to seeing, which... Likewise. And, um, yeah, it, I think it's the unfortunate thing of us being in Australia, the kind of lack of options of being able to see some of them so early and things. Like, I am dying to see 1917, the mm. new Sam Mendes, uh, Roger Deakins shot war film that's all supposed to look like it's in one shot. Uh, it's supposed to be amazing. Unfortunately, I've heard it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. What's the fucking Zing. That? Bad joke. <laughs> Bechtel test is about like how many female characters within something, but it's a World War One oh, film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bad joke, but anyway. And also, Little Women, I am dying to see. I think I'm getting to see that in the next day or two, so we'll see if that makes my end of year video list or... Yeah. That's right, you're doing your video list mm. of films of note. Yes, so I'm not going to touch well. on everything that's on that video, and that'll be kind of dropping in the first kind of week in, of uh, 2020, but okay. yeah. Yeah, and there's also, in addition to the films, I want to talk about, um, I don't know where we're going to kind of slot this in, but I also want to talk about the meta state of Hollywood as mm-hmm. well, to some degree, because, you know, Martin Scorsese does his tweet earlier this year, um, about oh no, it wasn't Marvel. a talk like that for the that man is definitely not on Twitter. No, it was no, just no, like it was no, an it was interview. A it, it was an interview baiting him. And it was, yeah, it was like a, what was it? It was like a sixty minutes interview. Yes, yeah, some some some, some shit. bullshit. Yeah, and they asked him about the Marvel movies, and they said it's not cinema. Yeah, which is kind of hard to bite, but um, you know you get what he's where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of blew up, and he did this nice article which because I read, he upset which was, fanboys. <laughs> Yeah, but I, but yeah, I want to. Talk on, about so that just sort of stuff. on that note, actually, did you see what um his daughter Francesca did for Christmas? She put out on like Instagram or whatever. She uh, wrapped all of his Christmas presents in Marvel wrapping paper. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, that's funny. Well, yeah, done. actually, I did hear about that. And I heard that James Gunn had a some kind of remark in rebuttal, Ugh. saying that he'd he'd got one like his Christmas presents were wrapped in. 
don't know, like taxi driver? Taxi driver? No. Anyway, he, he was a bit salty, especially. Yeah. And, and I do think that... Uh, Which I'm like, come on, James Gunn, you came from Troma. Chill the fuck out. Like... Yeah. You came yeah. from exploitation, weird, fun cinema. Like, get that... What he's yeah. meaning. Oh, we're, we're going to talk about yeah. it now. Because <laughs> it's, yeah. got, it's rolling that way. So I think what, that Scorsese is kind of correct. Yeah. I mean, you can't really say that. It's all part of cinema, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's obviously saying, you know, there's, there's cinema as the art form, which is what he is in love with and what we would be in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, let's call it cinema as a... Com- product to be consumed commodity yeah. yeah commercialization of art there and i think the problem with the way scorsese phrased and how people interpreted what he said was that um i i'm 100 sure that there are people that make those marvel films that have pure artistic intents and are doing it for the love of filmmaking and want to make a great piece of art the problem is the way they are from like a t- like I mean here's me saying as if I know like how they're made and everything but it's no I've got a fucking direct quote from Scorsese that will them like it's they're made to make money they're not made as a piece of art it's a fucking business model yes it's yes. not an expression particularly of humanity but it is I do understand that there is some artistic merit behind the creation of those like you yeah. look at you know some of like well exactly um, I would I mean okay so Scorsese says. Um, in his rebuttal to the blow-up that was his comment in this interview, um, that these modern film franchises are uh, um, market research, they're audience-tested, they're vetted, they're modified, they're re-vetted, and then they're re-modified, and then they're ready for consumption, which is basically what is happening. Um, it's filmmaking by committee as opposed to a singular artistic... or like a arti- communal artistic voice. Yeah, but then he, and he's also saying that in many places around the US... And around the world, yeah, and it's all it's all over the place. It's in China as well. Uh, the franchise films are now the primary source um, if you want to go see something on a big screen, yep. which wasn't the case um, certainly before, say, Star Wars number one. Yep. Well, I'm I have in front of me the top uh, worldwide box office for 2019. Uh, I'm going to exclude the two Chinese films that, like you know, did massive over in China but didn't really go anywhere else really but in terms of the actual original material um (laughs) the first thing that is a original not based on a pre-existing property as a sequel or a remake comes in at 22 and that's once upon a time in hollywood everything else in there you've got avengers lion king frozen 2 spider-man captain marvel toy story 4 joker the Star Wars, How to Train Your Dragon, It Chapter like 2. Like, every single one of them, except for two, was made by Disney. Yeah. Uh, owned by Disney. The one I'm, like, interested in is Alita Battle Angel, based off the manga. Like, that's kind of... Mm-hmm. I mean, but it is based off a comic, like, pretty existing thing. Yeah, and then the next... Going down beyond that, you've got... Then it's Us at number 28. Yeah, yeah. So, so in the top 30, excluding China-specific films, there's only two films <laughs> that were original. <laughs> yeah, that's the state. Yeah, that's the state of 2019, um, which is fucking fascinating. I mean, yes, and, and people are, you know, that's what people want. They want to go mm. out and and have a popcorn film these days and not expand, uh, not go see a film that's an expansion of cinema, just like a kind of a bubble film. That's and, just and that's also something that's kind of seemed to always really exist, like the bullshitty popcorn films. Like oh, the only really. problem was when we grew up, there were more original 
non-sequel baity popcorn films. Like what would happen would be there would be a standalone thing that would be massive in popcorn and then they would get that writer, writer, director, that team to go off and make something different. But also like the example that's coming to mind is like Twister and Speed, like same person, but diff- totally different stuff. Independence Day, shitty Godzilla, like same team, totally different stuff. That was like the state of the 90s. It would be, there was less sequel baity. It was more yeah, kind of just, here's more money to do something else. That's true. And then even if it was, I say, a retime, there's a lot of adaptations from novels. Yes. Which in itself is not, I guess you could say it's, that's not original. Yeah. As Jurassic Park is one and all of Kubrick's work. Yes. Um, yeah. But then they're translating something into the film language, which is an original process. Mm-hmm. And for the audience, certainly myself, I didn't, I didn't even know Jurassic Park was a, a book. Um, until yeah, and the one that is, out. and the one that is so drastically different to the yeah. film, actually. So yeah, but I think, I think, twenty nineteen. You know, the, the rise of Skywalker came out, and it's the end of the Skywalker saga, right? Sure. And neither do I. Neither neither do I. But I also don't believe it's going to be the end. Oh, I see. That's yeah. yeah. Oh, you're so fucking right. Well, to me, I think <laughs> it's like it's the end of this massive arc that is the money side of Hollywood mm-hmm. starts at, at Star Wars 1 Jaws is the first blockbuster but it's an original yes piece of work despite being based off a book and Star Wars starts off this blockbuster as a kind of product at, at that stage it's not because yeah you've got Jaws in 75 Star Wars in 77 then you've got a like Raiders in 81 yeah. like it's just a like the ball is starts rolling there and it has not stopped and then in the kind of mid 2000s was when the marvel of it all happened and you know iron man's a, like a, a risk at that time but but you can kind of see what's happening so george mm. lucas creates a film and he starts making toys and then the end process of that is you get star wars 9 and there's seven different fucking endings mm-hmm. and they're going to figure out it there's no art to that. You don't have an expression if you're trying to pick an ending based off how much money you can make. Let alone shooting like seven or eight different endings and well, screen then, testing them. And, and then they screen yeah. test and they go, which one is going to make the most money based yeah. off the audience reactions? Yes. Um, I, like, what's the answer? to say, my, I was thinking about, you know, this is pretty, pretty bonkers stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can start to see why Martin Scorsese would get so upset. Because in a way, it's ups- it is upsetting to see cinema I, on that level. Yeah, I also think he he kind of I don't think he meant to take a swipe or even make a comment. He was just asked, and his opinion is as such. But I think as well, like when it kind of blew up into a thing, and he kind of started to double down on everything and just be like, "Yeah, well, fuck you all." It's like stand by what I said. It was because the Irishman, no studio would bankroll that. Yeah. It took him 10 years to get that made and he went to, or, you know, roughly 10 years and went to every single studio. And I think it was like earlier this week, I saw him make com- say, make another comment where he's like, I didn't want to work with Netflix. They were just the only ones that would actually give me the fucking money. Which is fucking crazy. That's yeah. how much the game has, has shifted. Yeah. Because you look at what he has done recently post The Departed and you're like, I mean, every single thing he's done is amazing with it. The Irishman is... We'll get into that a bit later, but it's like Hugo, the silence, like everything he's doing is great. Shutter Island, I'm not the biggest fan of, but people love it and it was a big hit. Yeah. Like, 
Was he, Hugo commercially successful? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. But it's a super great kids movie. Yeah, like I, amazing I film. And visually stunning, and he makes great stuff. And it's so baffling to me that studios are like, nah. I guess they. they but granted, he wanted over two hundred. He needed over two. I think it was like two thirty million yeah. to because of all the CGI work, which. Uh, <laughs> Joe Pesci. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but you can see that there's a shift there where Hollywood's saying like, y- "You don't make enough money for us now. We can put money into um, franchises." Yeah, but interestingly, like we've been talking obviously a lot about all the blockbuster side and the business side of it, but all of that I find interesting that there seems to be a a, a shift beginning to happen. Like for years, there's been the talk about the you know blockbuster fatigue and the Star Wars fatigue and the Marvel fatigue. And it actually seems like there is a little bit of a push happening back towards the art house, which is super interesting. Like, uh, for example, let's take uh, Cinema Nova here in Melbourne, like probably our biggest, greatest art house cinema here in Melbourne. The one, like, you know, the sparkling jewel of art house cinema where you want to go to see anything like that, anything foreign art house. They have been playing Parasite consistently for 36 weeks now, I think. Yeah. (laughs) And it is still selling out sessions. Yeah. It is their highest grossing film of the year at that cinema. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's been fucking loads of, of amazing things coming out yeah, that are kind of outside of this yeah. this Hollywood money-making thing happening. And the prime example that blew my fucking mind in the last couple of weeks was Uncut Gems in the US. It opened select in only five cities, uh, five cinemas in uh, New York and LA, only five cinemas, and it made half a million dollars in two days across five screens. And then when it opened wide on Christmas Day, it made $5.9 million, which is the highest grossing film that A24 has ever had. Yeah. And it did it in one day. Yeah. Well, A24 is the most exciting. Um, yes. We'll, we'll get it. I've got a massive list of like all their stuff there. There's so much. But that's, yeah, but that is the interesting thing that you have these indie studios like A24 uh, and then the distribution places like IFC and um, uh, what have I got um, Neon the Alamo Drafthouse Tim League's distribution company who are putting out um, they put out Parasite in the US as well as Portrait of a Lady on Fire like getting these interesting films and actually putting a marketing push and uh, putting on awareness out there as if it was a major massive film for people to see because the content and the art is so good. Mm. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's... Um, we can jump straight in because um, I, I I was trying to figure out what was my best... The, the best film of 2019. I suppose we could leave that to the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly... Uh, let's let's go through Uncut Gems. I watched very recently, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't actually seen Good Time. So I wasn't so, too familiar with the Safdie brothers. This was your first exposure to the Safdie brothers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I heard really good things about Good Time. I'm a big fan of Ronnie Otrix Point Never, who did the soundtrack to Uncut Gems and Good Time. Mm-hmm. And he's done some other albums that are outside of the film soundtracks that are really good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was completely blown away by this film. Um, it is a visceral experience of anxiety in in every sense of of the word. Yeah. On every level of the film. The acting... Adam Sandler, right? I haven't seen him act well since... Uh, after I... Funny s- People? 
Yeah, I, funny people cops a lot of shit, but I, I'm a kind of defender of funny people. I, I quite like it. I, I get that it's two films in one, and I, I enjoy that. Mm. Um, and I think he's really good in it, but it's... Um, after I saw Uncut Gems, like the, I think I sent a message to someone, a friend, saying, like, words I never thought I would ever say... This year's Oscar goes to Adam Sandler. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it's insane. Unheard of, unheard of to think that a guy that made Grown Ups 2. And Jack and Jill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's exciting. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I remember when I was younger and we watched, we watched together, we watched Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison, and we were just in love with those. We were the prime age, and yeah. it was like we, you know, in the 90s when he was on, he was a cast member on Saturday Night Live. That was kind of my first cast for SNL was that you know Adam Sandler yeah. David Spade Chris Farley Mike Myers years yeah. and just like loved that dude all his comedy albums and everything and then he just started to douche it <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't make money and I don't know I mean, he with the odd anomaly like Punch Drunk Love uh, Rain Over Me is not bad the yeah. one with uh, Don Cheadle like yeah. the Mike Binder film that that's fine like yeah. you know it's exciting to see him actually I mean, he clearly gives a shit. Obviously, he gives a shit in this film. And there's been a bit of a shift lately because I, a lot of people are kind of, uh, you know, because granted he's getting a lot of praise for Uncut Gems, understandably so, but even last year, he was in Noah Baumbach's The Meyerowitz Stories and did an interesting dramatic performance there. Like, so it seems like there is a, a shift that's been happening in the last year or two towards that for him, and it's real fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind if it's... I think comedy films over the last 10 years have really taken a downturn. Mm-hmm. It's, there's been some troubles where it's, it's either... I, I guess the general populace doesn't really care for them anymore and doesn't want to throw their money at them in a cinema. Um, there are... And, and when there are kind of comedy films that end up... Got, like, all the good comedy films... I know comedy is subjective, but all the good ones... <laughs> they end up... Like MacGruber. MacGruber, Popstar, Four Lions, uh, Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. Like, all of these films end up bombing and becoming cult films later. Yeah. Like, that's, like, a given. And any kind of populist comedy, with the exception of, say, things like Superbad, or uh, this year's one, I would say, is Booksmart, which is sort of... Everyone was calling the female version of Superbad, but I think is like kind of a bit it's, of a knock it's on it. Very old now. That's some ten years. Film. Yeah. Okay. So two thousand nine was that? I think so. Oh no, two thousand seven. So twelve. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite old. Yeah. Like it's last decade. Really. Yeah. So. Yeah. But then, but then again, anyway, we're, we're kind of yeah, we're we're comedies. deviating off. But yeah. We can talk about comedies later with um, some other mm-hmm. films, but I want to get still touch on uncut gems. Um, yeah, I was watching this film, and it doesn't let up for a minute. I think the the first point in which you have actually, like, just a moment of silence, even for a minute or two, is, like, 45 minutes in, and it's... Everything about it is trying to push your stress. Yeah. Um, almost like Oni Otrix, uh, the, the, uh, who did the score, it's almost like he made a soundtrack for another film mm-hmm. and just started playing it in inappropriate moments of this film... Just so you kind of don't really... You can't settle. Right? Yeah. Something's just, always off kilter or has you on edge. like. And the editing's really snappy and quick. And the movement of the camera is just always fucking going crazy. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to... We don't want to get into spoilers or anything, but... Yeah. Yeah, the last... The, the last betting sequence? <laughs> the last gamble? The, is the, just monumental. The point that 
it's it's a film that I, I can't remember the last time I yelled at the screen <laughs> like in just pure frustration and anger and anxiety that's how invested and wrapped up I was when I saw this like mm. the point and it's like a big moment in the trailer where he says this is me this is how I win yeah that moment where I'm just like fuck you like you you have you yeah. like it is it, it's so interesting and rare to watch a film where your protagonist is highly unlikable. Yes, extremely. But you are rooting for him so passionately to not fuck up. Well, to I, just I, do the right thing once. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might be a different different for each viewer, but without going into the spoilers You, again, you like, love like, Hayden you Howard. May, <laughs> yeah, you may get into that zone where you want to have him... Win, yeah, and have a, a win state. You want you him, may not? I'm not sure. Like you want him to win because you, he's such a fuck up that you just and that's the thing. Like you want him to want that, not fuck up. You want that character arc. Yeah, you want that, and it's so you invest so heavily in it. And Sandler does it so well, and the Safdie brothers are fucking geniuses. Um, I, I'm a I'm a big fan. I've seen you know uh, Good Time, uh, Heaven Knows What, Daddy Long Legs, like all of their other films leading up to this, and it's. They are just perfecting their craft in terms of sticking that knife in and twisting and just cranks, slowly turning up the volume knob of anxiety. Well, yeah, that's right. We haven't even done a plot synopsis, but I think the the narrative in this film is irrelevant. It's very experiential. It is. And it's like, if we tried to break down the plot synopsis of this film, it'd be like... A guy has a gambling addiction. That's really it. And has a... Yeah, it's so... Yeah. (laughs) And then you just experience the problem. Over like a a two to three day period and things. It's so insane and amazing. And I am so, so happy that the Safdie brothers are... I I say getting their dues, but at the same time, they'd already won the John Cassavetti Award for Daddy Longlegs, their first kind of full-length feature at the Independent Spirit Awards. They've been, you know, uh, I think Oni Otrix won Best best Composer at Cannes for Good Time. Like, you know, they have been very well recognised. Mm. Like, even Benny Safdie was nominated for Supporting Actor in Good Time. Like, mm. they, like they are very well recognised in the industry. But now, with Uncut Gems, they're finally breaking through to the mainstream. And I think it's because Adam Sandler's there. Yeah, but the, it's so great as well that they wrote this part for him 10 years ago yeah, and had been trying to get it made. And it just I kept... heard that, yeah, his agent read it and said it's not for him. Yeah. And that was 10 years ago. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, we got the money to make, go and make Good Time. So they went off and did that. And then they were at Khan with Good Time while Sandler was there for the Mywitz story. So they kind of uh-huh. managed to meet him and slip it to him. And then they got uh, Martin Scorsese involved producing it, which is like, you know, <laughs> greases the wheels a little bit. So, And then, you know, because they made uh, Good Time with A24, they were able to, you know, get everything rolling. And uh, if anyone is interested, uh, I'm going to plug another podcast on our podcast, uh, the A24 podcast this week released an episode with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson interviewing the Safdie brothers about their career and Uncut Gems in particular, and right. it's fucking amazing. Right. Like, listen to that and just get an idea of how enthusiastic and fun and how much these two dudes love movies, and you just, yeah, so happy for all their success. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. It's a very exciting experience. Cannot wait for what they do next. Mm. They, it's... It's a real interesting, like, you know, we were talking at the beginning about the kind of negative, like, blockbustery bullshit of cinema. But the the inverse of that is it is a super exciting time for new artists like the Safdie Brothers, like Greta Gerwig, like, I'm, I know he's not young, but like Bong Joon-ho kind of getting notice and stuff. 
Uh, yeah, Robert Eggers as well. Yeah. He's done two films. Uh, Ari Aster as well, yeah. Midsommar and Hereditary. Um, uh, yeah, just great, great stuff this year. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're talking, um, talking about Adam Sandler and the comedy. So let's go down. I want to talk about uh, Dolomite Is My Name since we're talking about this kind of downturn in, in comedies mm-hmm. in general. A, it's very hard to find a solid one these days. And another film that uh, could not get financing at any studio except for Netflix. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had been trying to get made for 15 years, I believe. And yeah. 15 years. Mm-hmm. Dolomite Is My Name. Uh, more. Yes. Uh, written by uh, Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, who famously have written Ed Wood. Uh, Man on the Moon, People vs. Larry Flint. Uh, they wrote this back after they made Ed Wood, actually, back in the late 90s. Um, Eddie Murphy contacted them, having seen Ed Wood, and was like, I got a story for you guys, Rudy Ray Moore. And they met, and this was back when Rudy was still alive, so they met with him and wrote it way back then. To kind of, And then it just kind of never happened, because studios were like, not know shit about yeah. black black exploitation films like and then um they ended up getting a little bit of heat like it just kind of sat on a shelf and eddie murphy kind of semi-retired for a decade and um yeah they got some heat because they did the uh american crime story series the oj simpson trial stuff and won a bunch of golden globes and emmys and it got kind of re- kind of revigorated their career i guess reinvigorated it so, so all of a sudden they got this script where they go let's try and make it again well and it was like Eddie's got a free schedule let's and they yeah. went in for a general meeting with Netflix and they were like and Netflix I think brought it up like hey we heard that you wrote this years ago alright yeah so yeah I mean it's really I mean I love to see Eddie Murphy back he had such a long it was like Adam Sandler route yeah it's, like, it's similar mirrors Adam Sandler's career to some different ways <laughs> I, trying to make some money and then kind of Loses his his spirit somewhat. I uh, coincidentally, I um I showed Claire this last night. Like we were looking to watch a movie and she hadn't seen it, so I was like, "Oh, let's put on Dolomite." And about twenty minutes in, she just <laughs> leaned over to me and gone, "Wow, he really gives a shit in this one." Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> she's like, "It's weird to see him care because <laughs> it had been so long since Eddie Murphy seemed to care about what he was doing yeah, and exactly. actually act." Exactly. It was like the Nutty Professor. Which he cared about. Uh, I deb- no, like the lot. He, he cared about that one. That was like the first. And then you've got the, started to the clumps in his soup. Yeah, that's that's where it kind of starts. To I would say the last one where he cares is probably Bowfinger. Oh yeah, yeah, that's legit. Mm. That's a good comedy film. That's uh, Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll pay that. But that was twenty years ago. That's a long time. Ninety nine. That one came out. And he definitely soured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I, I, yeah, same as I'm saying. You look at him and you go, fucking joke. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're a joke. And you were so good for a period of time there. Yeah. Well, Eddie Murphy was the biggest movie star in Hollywood mm. in the, like, in the mid 80s. Like, he was massive after Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. And then just a couple of kind of lazy choices, I guess. But then mm. seeing him in this film and what this film, the story that this film is, is so fucking great. <laughs> Yeah, getting together and making a film with your friends. It reminded me of um, Brisbane Bear, mm-hmm. which is the same. It's got the same kind of flow to it where there's never really a, a, a drop in the mood. It's always just feel good. We're going to keep this feel good going. There's no drop in act two. Nope. And you've the, the 
you've got the odd sour grape in terms of a character that is Wesley Snipes, the kind of naysayer, the shitty person. But whenever he drops like his yeah. horribleness, like you know, he's being shitty, you immediately have another character counter it by saying something wonderful and like I don't give a fuck like we're having fun the characters aren't faced by him um by the way he is also he's been in prison because of tax evasion Mm -hmm. is that right uh and it's great to see him back like fucking he is a a great actor yeah the the first time I saw him back post jail time was I think two years ago in uh Spike Lee's Chirac and was like oh fuck he back and he great yeah he's so amazing (laughs) So again, it's kind of double whammy. Um, a very the, the big whole cast as well, like Keegan Michael Key, uh, Craig Robinson. I love seeing Mike Epps in such a great role as well. He was the um, one of the like his, his friends, the guy that becomes the set dresser and his cousin's car gets blown up yeah, and stuff. Yeah, okay, yeah. Like you know him from the Friday movies and things. Yeah. Like I've seen him actually. I saw he was in this Dolomite this year, as well as another great A twenty four film, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I'm like, oh shit, Mike Epps is showing up in all these really wonderful, weird little indie films. This is, I'm all for for this. Yeah, so yeah, it was it was a lovely film. I really enjoyed it. Um, what else? Do do you think it is a film that will kind of go beyond the Golden Globes in terms of like awards recognition mainly like Eddie's performance no you reckon that's going to be the one that's not going to it's a comedy film um, I don't think that you would expect to see it at the Oscars or anything no you don't reckon that will kind of follow through for his performance as a, as a... no I don't think so like, okay. yeah, I'd never expect to see a comedy it's the, the warm feelings it's kind of a meta experience mm-hmm. watching it because you're watching characters based off a real guy yeah. make a, a movie together because that's what they love to do yeah. and Eddie Murphy is clearly doing the exact same thing yes um, so I connect with it because of that I don't think critically um, it's going to kind of follow through in that regard yeah okay. but you'd never really expect you think it will I, I don't know re-watching it again last night um, while I was watching it I, I looked up because the you know, obviously, we're, at the time we're recording this, the Oscar nominations and thing, and the uh, Screen Actors Guild nominations haven't come out. But I looked at the Golden Globes for who is nominated against Eddie for Best Actor in a Comedy, and I was like, he might take this because I don't think DiCaprio for Hollywood is going to get it. <laughs> I, I I reckon he's already got his Oscar now. Everyone's yeah, gonna about everyone's yeah gonna. And honestly, the fly, the if anyone's winning an Oscar, uh, an award from that movie, it's Brad Pitt. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, um, so I'm like, he might take it. And then if that could translate, follow through. And also the script is really lovely. There's some like real nice nuggets in there of like some good dialogue gems. Is the, um, is the screenplay up, up for an award or? Oh, it it could get nominated for best original. Like you never know. So, okay. Cause that's the the wonderful thing about the Oscar screenplay. You've got adapted and original. So there's like chance for 10 scripts to get nominated. So, Yeah, you never know. Maybe. I mean, National Board Review gave it, like, one of the top ten films of the year, like... That's true. Okay, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's certainly a fucking tight film. Yes. Um, in, in... I can't... I mean, there's probably flaws. I can't really... Nothing comes to mind. It is... So. It is a pop... Like, we started this episode talking about the popcorn films. This is the type of film that would have been a popcorn film back in the 90s, almost, it seems. Yeah, yeah. But because it has shifted so much, it's a Netflix kind of weird, almost indie art film. <laughs> It's indie. Yeah. It's independent. 
despite being Netflix, like, the biggest company in the world. But, yeah. That's what, yeah. It's a weird state of, mm. of cinema we're living in. Um, yeah, Netflix, Netflix. What else did Netflix produce this year? Um, well, their other big one, I mean, obviously we've got Marriage Story and The Irishman. Oh, yeah. Um, it took me three viewings to get through the Irishman. This is why I went and saw it in the cinema mm. because I knew, like, and everyone I've talked to that has seen it at home has done it in at minimum three sittings, which I think is a shame. Like, well, it, it's, I have it, an excuse. I have a baby. Yes. <laughs> so that often gets in the way of watching a, a film, especially yeah. in three and a half hours. I can't just close the door and go, fuck yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but e- even regardless of that, people I've like that have no excuse <laughs> have been doing it in like three sittings as if it's like a mini series or something. And I think by taking that break, you're losing the when the finale of that film rolls around and the kind of the point happens. It's lost on people because they haven't gone through it as a singular journey. It I does guess. have an inertia behind it, which yeah. builds and builds and builds. And it is such a slow burn, and it is also one where. Like, I'll preface this with all saying, like, this is by... Like, I don't even consider this top-tier Scorsese. Like, I really like the film, but it's by no means amazing. Like There's a couple scenes that are absolutely excellent. Yeah, because it's Scorsese. (laughs) But it's like, I would not... I would hesitate to even put this in his top ten for me. Um, But it's... The emotional gut punch that the finale delivered is amazing and i think that that i'm like kind of skirting around it as unspoilery as i can that going on that three hour journey and then 60 years of voyage yeah years through a man's life and then you think the film you hit the logical ending point and the film keeps going for another half hour 40 minutes and you realize oh this is the point where we're supposed to be actually paying attention it's not like what you thought was going to be the climax of the film. We're ending on such a fucking dour emotional gut punch. I, yeah. It's quite, as far as Scorsese goes, like if you watch Goodfellas, which is a fucking roller coaster. Mm. And uh, After Hours, King of Comedy, uh, yeah. Departed, Taxi Driver. Like This one, I mean, it's three and a half hours. It lets itself breathe and it's a bit more you know, nuanced. Yeah. I, I'd put this probably a notch below Casino. <laughs> like it's not and I'm not even a big fan of Casino but it's it's that similar kind of yeah it, it just doesn't quite yeah yeah I wasn't I'm, I'm kind of with you yeah doesn't wow me as much as a lot of its other work does he sets the bar so high yeah, yeah what are you gonna do mm. but the other Netflix one that wowed the shit out of me was Marriage Story yeah by Luxville I haven't watched it I'm sorry no no it's, it's fine I'll just kind of quickly I guess go through that uh, I'm a massive Noah Baumbach fan have been since The Squid and the Whale in I think 2005 I want to say um, I'm you know Francis Ha is incredible I really dig Green I'm the f- one person that really likes Greenberg <laughs> um, uh, you know Mistress America like a bunch of his stuff that he's done is all great um, this is his crowning jewel I would say I I just loved this movie <laughs> It is, like, the best film Woody Allen never made, oh. if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's that very kind of similar tone and style, yeah. and it is just 
I've, I've talked to a lot of people, like our friend Lee watched it and said that it was fucking brutal. And she like was like, nah, that would fuck me up emotionally. I'm like, really? That's good, right? Yeah, it's great. But it's, I, but I, it didn't quite knock me for six like that in terms of emotional stuff. Like I kind of, yeah, brilliant. I'm tripping out. I'll move away because that's kind of getting, just going to get into spoilers there. But it's brilliant performances by Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, uh, as well as the supporting cast. Like I love whenever Alan Alda pops up. <laughs> who, who is Alan Alda? Hawkeye from Mash. Uh, <laughs> he plays like a kindly old lawyer, <laughs> um, which is also like a nice Woody Allen kind of similarity. Uh, Ray Liotta, Laura Dern, like everyone's great. Um, just a wonderful character dissection of a divorce. Mm. Oh, I, I'm I'm have a lot of uh, I, I'm going to be seeing this film. I yeah. kind of got a really infatuated with Adam Driver. Yeah, who so, isn't? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like one of those guys, the first second you saw him, whatever you first saw him in, you were just like, who is that? Mm. Like, <laughs> Just his face alone is fucking interesting. Yeah, and then you're, and then he has the incredible acting chops behind it that you're just like, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's, He's amazing. Yes. Uh, yeah. What else? How can we... What else have you got? Well, um, some other ones, like, interestingly, actually, before we started recording, you'd mentioned that you just watched Ad Astra. Yeah, I watched that, yeah, a few days ago. And did not dig it. Well, I love sci-fi. Yes. In fact, it's probably my favorite genre Mm -hmm. of all time. And so I'm always up for for sci-fi. But, um, yeah, I found it to be, I mean, it looks gorgeous. It's like gravity. It looks gorgeous. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the cinematography is fantastic and at times it's got a really lovely flow and pace I love slow sci-fi yeah um, but I found I mean the, the premise is uh, Apocalypse Now yeah yeah. <laughs> it is literally Apocalypse Now even down to the narration yeah but, yeah, but exactly well the narration kind of irked me because it was a bit simple but then like, I had the same thing I was like why the fuck is Brad Pitt voiceover narrating this and then had the realization of oh it's literally the plot of Apocalypse Now where he is essentially tasked with a mission where he has to go up river or slash go out to beyond Saturn or Jupiter and he's ne- Neptune Neptune yeah. and exterminate with extreme prejudice <laughs> yeah he's and so we're gonna narrate and monologue our way on that journey I'm like it is literally Apocalypse Now I liked he hops I on a, he hops on a boat and spoiler alert everybody died like along the way like it's it's yeah yeah okay yeah true it's literally that, apocalypse now in space yeah okay that's that's fine and true but i i found it it, it would it would get to a point and then sidestep into a moment of action or excitement yeah which i found to be of no significance mm-hmm. that there was no through line remember there's a sequence uh kind of early on about the, maybe a the, third. the pirates on the moon yeah <laughs> they're just all of a sudden there and they're trying to get from point a to b and they have military escort because there's pirates. Yes. And they're on the same land cruisers in the, on the moon. Yep. And there's there's no point to it except that, that someone said, maybe a producer said, we're going to have to, for the trailer, put in a sequence that's really exciting. And they shoot with laser guns and yeah. And I, there's no point, like the, it has no effect on the story at large. It, and there was, it, often, there was often a sidestep yeah. back into the film. I would argue that that, because we've had primary setup of Brad Pitt being emotionally disconnected in terms of his relationship with his wife and the kind of end of that and then 
that action, and then you have a the scene where he falls off the satellite and back into Earth at the beginning of the film, and shows his calm, kind of robotic way of going going about that like chaotic event. But then you place him in a chaotic event where it involves other people actively dying in front of him, and he is still robotic. And that kind of it's used as to set up for what is to follow, I guess. I, I suppose. But then the film is suggesting that if you're going to be an astronaut, you're going to need to decompartmentalize your mm-hmm. emotions um, so that you're, you know, being acting professionally uh, and rationally as a scientist. Um, but then, you know, I, spoilers. <laughs> um, uh, no, not spoilers. The film's ultimately, it takes a long time to say life's important. Yeah. And that's such a fucking simple thing. Yeah. Obvious yeah. thing. And, so and, and you like, just, yeah. he didn't, you didn't, went on for the ride, essentially. Yeah, it was, it was okay. Mm-hmm. It was okay. Yeah, I, I, for some reason, just this one kind of hit a chord with me and I really enjoyed it. I, I was expecting absolutely nothing based off of the... Like you said, the marketing stuff where it was like space battles and like on pirates with, on the moon in rovers. Well, I saw the trailer. I was like, I don't want to see that. Yeah, I, I went in with zero expectations, but really kind of connected with the kind of slow, methodical. Like I said, I had the realization this is just apocalypse now, and I'm fine with that. Well, you recommended it to me based off that, and yeah. I said, cool, I'm going to go see that now. And it did not work, and I apologize. No, that's fine. You should have watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire instead. Yeah, I should. <laughs> yeah, I regret not seeing that now because. Yeah. Apparently it's amazing. It is. But it really is. No, that's okay. Like I, I had a, I didn't have a bad time. Mm-hmm. It was fine. Yeah. Um, I want to hear about what you have to say about us. Yeah. Jordan Peele's us. Um, yeah. Fuck it. it, it chapter two horror is <laughs> is doing also very exciting things with Jordan Peele. Yeah, despite the mainstream with like it chapter two and all yeah, the... I don't know if that's. The jump scare stuff. All the stuff that Warner Brothers are doing in terms of like, just forget about that. (laughs) Yeah, I love what he is doing with his horror films. Mm -hmm. Um, I I thought it was fantastic. Um, It's so rich. Uh, He he spends such a long time building symbols for you to kind of work out. And Mm -hmm. they're just everywhere. Um, Even down to that opening shot as well, when it's the slow pushing on the TV with the hands across America commercial. And then if you read the VHSs that are beside the TV, even those are helping set up. Like there's stuff like like Chud, (laughs) Cannibalistic Underground Dwellers and stuff like his. Uh, Yeah, there's all this stuff that's kind of set up. I've seen it once and I suspect when I go back, it's going to be just an explosion of, oh my goodness, that's in the background. Mm -hmm. And I'm... It's one of my... I really like this, and it's in my kind of favourites of the year list. And I... In terms of audience reception, I think because coming off of Get Out, which was such a commercial uh, audience and critical smash, like, everyone loved that, rightfully so. And they went in with expectations for us. And instead, he just delivered a great Twilight Zone episode Mm. that... Yeah, yeah, people right. trying to break it down. It's like, well, it doesn't make sense. With and you're like, yeah, don't give a fuck. It is fun schlock. Well, he, he went schlock essentially. He did do schlock, I suppose. But but the actually, ending I, is so silly and fun. I think yeah, you, <laughs> it, that's correct. But the the criticism on on the US, 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 yes, lol. It's a bit on the nose. But, yeah. But I kind of... Whatever. I love it. I just want... I want a spin-off film with Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, yeah. Characters. Right. No, I just, I just love... Let's critique... In both films, let's critique a, a segment of, of the American... Of American culture. Mm-hmm. 
And we're going to do it by making a really fun horror film. Yeah. A, a schlocky one coming off, like, because I, like, I really want to emphasize schlock. Because <laughs> Us is, it has schlock in there, but it, it just kind of somehow elevated to prestige schlock. Yeah. Whereas Us is just down, dirty, weird. Yeah, it's... Twilight zone It's mysterious. It doesn't... It protects its secrets. Yeah. Um, you don't know what's... Who... Where these people have come from. Is it a government thing? And, and it uh, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And, and there's questions where it's like... If you really started to scratch the surface and go, well, how are people surviving down there with... Yeah. Like, what's really going on? How it makes no sense. And it's like... Clothes? There's like the one shot of like the people like mimicking being on the roller coaster. And you're like, that makes no sense. And you're like, it doesn't matter. It it's just fun. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just go for the ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, it, it's a, I wasn't really scared. Um, no. It's kind of creepy. I just, I just love what he's doing in terms of... Um, yeah. Mm. taking a, a slice of American culture and exploring that similarly uh, another amazing voice in kind of modern horror would be Ari Aster kind of following up Hereditary with Midsommar mm. which is great um, you haven't seen that one yet have I've you? seen Hereditary I haven't yet seen Midsommar okay all everybody I've... at the I went to we went to a Meredith Music Festival um, only a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and there was so many people dressed up as characters from that film. It was like a group of about 20 or so of them all dressed up as like the, the cult and they had like, even one guy had a wooden, the wooden, <laughs> the wooden mallet and yeah. things like it was great little detail there. But, um, that is a wonderful film that is kind of marketed and set up as kind of fucked up Wicker Man-esque horror film, but similar to us and things. It has a way deeper thing that it's, it's essentially a breakup movie. <laughs> it's a relationship and a breakup film. That's, but it's just using <laughs> like a fucked up cult as like the allegory for it, and it's wonderful. And Florence Pugh is the MVP of this year in terms of acting performances. She's incredible. So, yeah, that's, that's coming out. That's got to be out by now, right? That was an earlier in the year. Oh yeah, I have it on Blu-ray. I'll let, like can lend it to you. <laughs> yeah, oh, <right>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Awesome. Uh, yeah, horror is good. Um, I'll talk about um, I'll talk about the lighthouse as well, mm-hmm. which I also recently saw. I think that just came out basically, but another A twenty four. I want to say yeah, that's right. Yep, that's right. And Robert Patterson uh, is becoming very intriguing to me. Has for several years for me. Okay. Like he's doing, he kind of peppers his career with really fascinating stuff. The the one that shone for me was when he started working with David Cronenberg in Cosmopolis. I was like, huh, okay. And he's done two films with Cronenberg, like Cronenberg's last two films, it was in those, and that was like right after the Twilight stuff, and then post that, he's then gone on to work with, um, like, yeah, Safdie Brothers, uh, Claire Denis, like, real interesting shit. Yeah, and he's also Batman now as well. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I, as it like yeah. that, I'm like, eh. and then you real, and then you also see that they've cast like Paul Dano and Peter Sarsgaard. I'm like, oh, okay. the cast is really interesting. Yeah, Jeffrey Wright. I'm just like, this is okay. Mm. I'm intrigued. <laughs> I like Batman, but we're talking about the Lighthouse. Sorry, he's my favorite comic book hero, though. So, the Lighthouse guy. Uh, yeah, Batman. Yeah. <laughs> The guy in the lighthouse. Yeah, the light that shines the beacon. Yeah, he's Batman. Yeah, the lighthouse Batman. No, the lighthouse is a giant dick. Um, Unsubtly, yes. Yeah, I, I thought. Did you like this film? 
I did, but um, not as much as I thought I was going to. It had been hyped up a lot. Yeah, when and you look at the trailer, and coming from like a guy that loves the Criterion Collection now, yeah, I was so excited to watch a black and white movie that's yeah. contemporary. The the one thing I I I really enjoyed it. I thought the film was fucking hilarious. Yeah. I, I laughed way more than I thought I was going to. Yeah. Um, into like you know darkly laughing. Um, the one thing I was not prepared for that was like exceeded my expectations was Willem Dafoe. Mm. He is amazing in that film. I think, yeah, I think if you're going to put two characters on a rock together for four plus weeks and just kind of have them duke it out, yeah, the, the acting is going to be fucking incredible. Yeah, and I think it's a film that I will appreciate more on rewatch, uh, kind of. Because once you go through it, the f- mm, trying to do this unspoiler, it is essentially watching two people slowly go insane, and on a second watch, you can kind of pin clear more clearly pinpoint a moment where insanity possibly happens, yeah. and then the kind of unreliable narrator stuff where y- y- you can start to figure out is this real or not. Earlier, on, like you know, you can pick it up easier on the rewatch. I think. Yeah, it's a it's an expression of of madness. Um, but I also love you're going to create a, a film, a story that within it has, it mirrors kind of like, there's like the Greek mythology Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like Prometheus is, do we do spoilers? Because I guess if we're talking about that, you'd spoil the film. Um, do we want it? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, if you don't want, this film is fucking sick and I loved it <laughs> uh, and you should watch it. So skip to this Chris will read out in, in the future recording uh, a time code and skip to here. Hello. To avoid spoilers for The Lighthouse, please skip ahead to time code 51 minutes and 30 seconds. Thank you. Thank you, future Chris. Not future Chris. Generic robot voice. But that's fine. Um, so now we can talk about spoilers. Yeah, so the Prometheus thing is the old Greek myth um, about Prometheus the Titan taking fire and giving it to humanity and giving them intelligence and so mm-hmm. gets very angry um, and puts him out in the desert and he is to have an eagle comes down and feeds off his organs every day yes for eternity and the fire is the lighthouse I think like at the end when when he goes up when in he there, goes up there yeah. and, and there's like that amazing shot that's overexposing and, and the, he, and the audio is going crazy goes batshit crazy yeah and he, uh, it's I mean, the whole film is exploring a person that's that's trying to push what he is away. Yes. And move on and ignore that. And when he sees the... He opens up the lighthouse, finally he sees the lantern and goes completely mad because he's got... He knows everything about himself. Yeah, it's, it's just unveiled all truths, yeah. Um, and then you know, he falls down from, from quote-unquote, heaven... Mm-hmm. And then gets the seagulls, the seagulls to feed <laughs> in, in, in one of the greatest ending shots of a film I've seen. All oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah uh, that is it's such a good shot. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah, um, and, and it's also, rich with, with folklore. So there's the, the Greek mythology. There's old um, old seamen uh, mythology. There's there. certainly a lot of seamen in the film. There's a lot of jism. <laughs> No, but uh, yeah, right. Like all the stuff with the mermaid is super fucking weird and fascinating, and yeah. 
Yeah, I just everything it, the cinematography, the the choice of the compositions of the shot is just yeah. everything was just rich. Robert Eggers is a real interesting filmmaker, and the performances he's able to bring out of his, the people that he casts, I, I think, is phenomenal. Mm. Like he made a star out of Anna Taylor Joy and The Vivitch. I haven't watched that. Now I'm going to watch that. <laughs> oh, you've never seen The Witch? I've never seen it. Okay, yeah. Um, and then I think this is arguably one of Willem Dafoe's greatest performances. Rob Pattinson is equally fantastic, but it is kind of similar to what I've been seeing him do lately. Like you, you, it's kind of on path for him lately. Defoe, it is so weird what he does. Yeah. He, he's his performance is pretty nutty the whole way through. Yeah, and he's definitely pushing himself. Yes, I felt that Rob Pattinson kind of was his acting chops were getting better through that throughout the film until yeah. the end there's a couple of scenes which are just like you're just like oh, my oh he's so good like yeah yeah, yeah everything about it, I just thoroughly enjoyed mm. I, it, it's, it's it's really starting to become hard to pick a, a favourite film of the year after I saw that okay so that's like right up there for it really you. is okay yeah I loved it mm. um and Parasite we, have we watched are we talking about Parasite uh, before we get to Parasite, I want to kind of just point out one or two, excuse me, uh, one or two other little ones, just like slight recommendations for people to possibly try and seek out and see. Um, in terms of absolutely weird comedies, I would really recommend Greener Grass. It is like David Lynch mashed up with a comedy bang bang episode. Like it is weird and wonderful and great. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one would be The Death of Dick Long made by one half of the Daniels who made um, Swiss Army Man a couple of years ago so yeah. one of those guys has gone off and made this film The Death of Dick Long and it is amazing and one of my favourites of the year okay. <laughs> it is about uh, three rednecks who are in a Nickelback cover band who decide to uh, <laughs> after the wife and kids go to bed decide to have a little go a little wild and then in the process um, uh, post credits uh, they're dumping uh, the body of Dick outside the hospital and then get reports that Dick, their friend Dick Long has died, and they are trying to cover it up. And so is the twins and a Swiss Army Man, where it's kind of absurdist, surreally kind of yeah, mm-hmm. sounds like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Visually great, great, amazing performances, darkly hilarious. Uh, I I loved this film. If you're looking for like a weird off kilter comedy. Try and hunt down the death of Dick Long, our A24 film again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the year A24, yeah. And uh, on a more serious note, I would go for Pain and Glory, uh, Pedro Modelvar's new film from this year with Antonio Banderas. Um, phenomenal. It is a meta exploration, uh, autobiographical of Almodovar, kind of looking back on his life, his past relationships, his artistic output. Fucking phenomenal. Um, great meta exploration. Uh, Banderas career best performance just mm. everything fantastic go and check those out if you can yeah see I got yeah there's many more films to watch to yeah catch up um, you're so much better at <laughs> well, I've, I've looked at my letterbox and I've watched about 230 films this year fucking crazy so, yeah just a little bit but um and it's also you know the film festival going absolutely batshit crazy for all of that helps so. yeah that's true but um, I guess to finish the... Oh, and I mean the other one that is just kind of out now that everyone's getting to see, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Holy shit, do yourself a favor, go see that film. It's amazing. That's kind of all I'll say about that. Um, but I guess to wrap it up, the two final ones for discussion, I would love to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we, we saw that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 
at the cinema, one of, uh, one of the premiere sessions, I think, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember Cole saw it, my wife Cole saw it with me, and she didn't like it at all. Similarly, my wife Claire hate, absolutely hated it. Yeah, I and to the point of said, like, I think she came out of it and she's a controversial opinion. I think DiCaprio was a shit actor. <laughs> like, that's how much he disliked the film. Yeah, I, well, yeah, that's a that's an interesting discussion to have. I think. Yeah, um, but they're both familiar with Tarantino, obviously, and they mm-hmm. both really enjoy his old films. Mm-hmm. We, both, we both love all of his old films, obviously, um, and yet they didn't like it. And I thought that's that's very odd. But this is a kind of different. In its, in some ways, it's the same mm-hmm. Tarantino that you love and, and adore and go to see. In some ways, it's not. It is him doing a contemplative character story. There is no narrative in terms of like story progression here it is all character mm-hmm. and that's all it is for nearly three hours and if you're not on board for that you're gonna have a really shitty time yeah and especially coming off of what he's been doing lately with Inglourious Bastards Django Hateful Eight there which are so rich in story like it is the story that drives those films with great characters inside it but this one is great characters they're the story mm-hmm. that's it <laughs> well it, it's got similarities to Inglourious Passes and it's got the alternate history stuff happening yeah and, and Django as well to some degree yeah has that but I I, I mean I, I absolutely adored the what he tried to do which was I, mm-hmm. I think my take on it was um, it's kind of like a love letter to Hollywood itself the yep. old Hollywood that he loves and grew up with mm-hmm um, Not just that, but the old LA of his childhood. Yeah. That's why the radio is such a yeah. pivotal kind of. And they say, I always thought, okay, so he's he's taking, let's say, arguably, the worst thing that ever happened to Hollywood. It was such a critical blow to all the artists that were living there mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and he says, let's let's give that story a happy ending. Mm-hmm. And that's my gift. A big thank you to Hollywood. Yeah. Um, that was my take on it. I thought it was just. It's such an ultra-violent experience, but so fucking lovely. What he... Yeah, which where is, he goes with it. Which mm. is novel. Like, he, he always surprises me. Every mm-hmm. time he makes a film, there's always a big surprise waiting yeah. to happen. And because of where that film is taking you... Like, I don't know about you, but, like, going into that session, like, I expected, like... You have in the back of your mind, like, is he going to do his revisionist here? And then as the film goes along, you start to realise... The, the tone of it, you're like, it doesn't. I don't think it's gonna ha- like go that way. And then when it does, it is so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and as you said, that that's um, was it the highest grossing original work? Yeah, this came year? in at number twenty two of the worldwide box office. Yeah. I think uh, Tarantino's cool. highest grossing film of all time for okay. his career. Amazing. Which is kind of I found really interesting. He his films are incredible and universally loved. But don't make that much money, <laughs> like relatively. <laughs> well, he's still he's still bankable in the eyes of Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and more than fucking Scorsese. Si- yeah, every actor wants to work with him. Yeah. So yeah, he's more bankable than Scorsese. So I, I think the old Hollywood is mm. is falling away somehow. If Scorsese's gone to Netflix, yeah, Tarantino's he's done well. Yeah. But my only thing is like I. I find it interesting because, you know, famously, he's like, I'm retiring after 10 films and this is his ninth. This kind of feels like it, it is an almost a, like his, because it's his, his, one, his yeah, it's the love letter to it's his cinema and to old cinema. actors and everything that he loved growing up that made him want to get into movies. It seems weird that it's the second to last, that yeah. you're like, where do you go from here, buddy? 
Well, he'll, but he'll surprise us. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's so wonderful. Every performance. Um, not my favorite DiCaprio, but I think he... Like, there are moments of genius in there. Brad Pitt's phenomenal. Like, yeah, it, it is... One that it's a different film for Tarantino, but I love it more than everything he's like almost more than everything he's ever done. Like I really, really like this movie. So, what's your favorite Pulp Fiction? No, Inglorious. Inglorious. I think Inglorious. Like the ending line of that film of I think this might be my masterpiece, and then it cuts to Rick and Drink to my Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) I he is yet to top Inglorious. So masturbatory. Yeah, that's and that's why I love it. It's so Tarantino. Like that is yeah. Um, but he is yet to like this, this. There are scenes in Inglorious that are just amazing, like the opening scene at uh, the Lapidite Farm, and then the um, the tavern scene. Like you know, he's ten- it's him at the top of his game. The tension builders. There, there was a scene in like that in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where they go to Spawn the- Ranch. Yeah, exactly. That isn't the best scene of the film, I think. And then as he slowly progresses through the scene, and when he finally gets to the stairs where he's in. Uh, encountering Dakota Fanning a squeaky from and it's just all of a sudden now on Dutch angles and it feels like you're in Texas Chainsaw Massacre like phenomenal shit yeah 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 that was very glorious past but I, I find it really interesting how many people dislike this film compared to yeah because it's something different and I think it's one over the year as years go on people are gonna reconsider I think well I, yeah I mean he makes a film like Kill Bill which fits right in with the zeitgeist of Hollywood today you know yes. what I mean like just fuck it. But he did that 15, nearly 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when he changes course, because that's what he feels like, I think. Mm. But um, let's move on to Parasite, which is arguably the best film of the year. <laughs> yeah, and it's nominated for Best Picture, is that right? Yeah, uh, at the Golden Globes. At the Golden Globes. Uh, no, Best inter- uh, best International Film. Uh, but he's nominated for Director and Screenplay. Okay. Yes. Right. Uh, it will be nominated for Best Film, I think, at the Oscars. Like, it... And I, I was wrong last year. I thought Roma was going to actually win Best Picture last year, and would hopefully going to be the first non-American or non-English language film to win Best Picture because that has never happened in ninety odd years. Um, I am now going to plant my flag in that hill for Parasite and hope that it becomes that first film. Yeah, it's it's flawless. There is no other film this year that does what that like it just is it's every note of tone genre character story like I I multiple genre yeah drama thriller horror that's what I mean like it it jumps genre so it is the culmination of everything Bong Joon-ho has done in his career leading up to this point Mm. that being said it's probably not my favourite of his but it is his most technically and most accomplished film and it's uh, a fascinating take on the class system in Mm mhm and I always I thought I found it interesting that that they the uh, what's the family called again Parks the Parks family mm-hmm. they put America on this pedestal in the film which is like a really interesting angle to put mm-hmm. you know, like that's a very important thing to note um, and uh, yeah like the oh shit I fucking lost what I was gonna say America on the pedestal no that was like almost a side note ah. um, Let's just revise. Um, But yeah, it's... Because how familiar were you with his filmography? Like... I haven't seen Snowpiercer. Because I know you'd seen Okja and did not dig that. Yeah, I thought it was... 
somewhat weak. Like, uh, the, I thought the tone. I know that his uh, his ideas are like let's jump tonally mm-hmm. and in you know genres here and there throughout the films, and it's going to be kind of a bit of a crazy ride if you're not into it. You're not into it. Mm-hmm. And and Usher was like that, where it's just like sometimes there's a cartoony element. Yep. And then sometimes there's a real moment. And when when you put those two together, it just wasn't really gelling with me. Didn't work for you and Okja. Um, so I, I saw that film and I was just like, yeah, it's, it's definitely an original piece that's interesting in that on that level. Um, but I, I didn't have much interest. Yeah. But then, you know, this film came out and it was blowing up critically. So I said, oh, I better watch this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and completely fucking blown away on multiple aspects the the cinematography is second uh, best cinematography I've seen this year mm-hmm. um, and the, the the symbolic movement of like it calls it the stairway film his stairway film yeah whereas Snowpiercer is like the hallway thing yeah the left around, yeah. moving up and down with the filthy sub basements and the pristine yeah you can see the sky all of a sudden up in the park's residence not just that but the second you enter their residence you can't see anything but the residence and it's like beautiful trees and like yeah, you don't see any anything of the outside world it's like this little weird bubble like. they've shut it yeah shut themselves in yeah um, but I think the strongest aspect of the film is actually the, the last three minutes oh nails home I love the ending I love okay. what it says about this, the struggle of the lower class yeah um and that's all I want to say about that because it's all in the spot if you haven't seen it. Yeah. It's a, yeah, to suffice to say it is there's something that happens halfway through that film that totally shifts where it's going, what it's doing, and just kind of, <laughs> yeah, Bong joon hoes it and makes it something real different and interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting in that, I mean, everybody's kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Every character is kind of shit in their own way, but they're all victims of, of their the, situation as well. Exactly. So that in and of itself creates a really interesting dynamic between the audience, myself watching it, and trying to connect with everybody. You connect with everybody even though they are shitty. Yeah. The, the parks that they have, they kind of snigger at, at the lower class. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the actual family that we're following, it's not like they're all skilled people. But they just, just the found themselves in a circumstance of yeah. this is their only way to kind of make it, you know, better themselves. Yeah, it's it's a super interesting film. Uh, hysterically funny at moments, darkly fucked up, like brilliant, brilliant performances. The music is fantastic. Mm. Um, just it is, yeah, the film to beat for the year. Yeah, I I, I would, I guess we could talk about favorites. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I've seen Parasite twice this year, and. I'm pretty comfortable saying that's the best film I've seen. I really think Uncut Jam... I'm tempted to put that over just because it was such a full-on, unique, incredible experience to me emotionally. Yes. It, it, it's a film that makes you like viscerally connect with it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, in The Lighthouse as well. I think probably Parasite, I would say, is the best. But mm-hmm. Those three films are ridiculous. Well. Nice. Majestic as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Parasite is definitely uh, right up there for me. And um, I guess keep an eye out for my video in the next week or two for the rest of my list. It's it's fairly extensive. I've blown it out to 25 this year. So. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Oh, I, I forgot to bring up with Dolomite is my name that um, Craig Brewer, the guy that made it. Yes. He's making um, Coming to America. Coming to 
to America. Yeah. It's coming out in August. So I guess we're going to have an Eddie Murphy um, rise yeah. in earnest now. I was talking to our friend Toby about this, and this is... We're at a turning point for Eddie, because we've just... Like, the whole meta stuff and seeing him actually give a shit and the, the wonderfulness that was Dolomite. It's like he's been given a second wind. Is he now going to squander it into coming to America? <laughs> like, is that film going to just no. be... Yeah... No, because because you could. It's do gonna it, be like, the test, essentially. Is like <laughs> you could do a satire of American culture in that film, easy peasy, and make it decent. Mm. Well, the first one wasn't really a satire of American culture. It was just a no. straightforward kind of romantic comedy. Yeah, it's great. It's a f- I l- fucking love coming to America, but it is like what what else do you need to do with that? Well, and it, it's exactly. so it's very clear that Eddie is gonna be the James L. Jones character like you know the father and his daughter slash son has to go and find to some degree i don't want to see him return to a sequel that's what i mean like but this is going to be the test like to see yeah yeah, because that's what he the trap that he fell into that turned him to shitty and lazy but at the same time you you have to address his his career trajectory means you have to address like how do you get back in the good graces of the the population yeah so I don't know. It's it's um, an interesting. We'll see. Concept. Yeah, I, I'm at least intrigued. I've, I've liked Craig Brewer as a director. Marcel and Flo, Black Sleep Moon does good stuff. Yeah, yeah, Black Sleep Moon's good. So yeah. Um, we didn't talk about Knives Out with Ryan Johnson. Oh yeah, super great script. Yeah, the screenplay is fucking awesome. It's a uh, fun as fuck movie. That <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I've seen it twice now. Yeah. yeah okay. Cool. Uh, it is equally as great the second time around. Yeah, I'll be rewatching. Yeah, you can go back to it for sure. Yeah, um, and you pick up little things and. Yeah, he's he's writer and director, um, so I think like people may be a bit salty. I wonder if Star Wars fans said "fuck knives out" because you can't write for shit. Blah, 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 blah. Mm, I don't think so because it's still number five at the box. Like it's still holding in there at the box office, like weeks after it's come out. Yeah, it's got that word of mouth thing going for it. Yeah, and it's just. Hollywood don't make these enough of these type of movies like the fun Agatha Christie style murder mystery like as soon as the film ended it, how much were you just like man I want to see Benoit Blanc solve more or solve slash not really solve more mysteries yeah <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah that'd be great if this becomes like a series <laughs> of just the new Bond thing the new Poirot essentially yeah it was fantastic so Ryan Johnson is um, an exciting f- filmmaker despite the Last Jedi or whatever. See, you know, I, I disagree with the in spite of. Because I, I've been a fan of his ever since Brick. And I, I like uh, the Brothers Bloom, uh, Looper, and with Star Wars. Like, it is n- by no means a good Star Wars film. But w- it is so weird okay. as a Star Wars film. This is what I have to say about... Okay. I don't like talking about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will say this. Two of the 11 films are very good. Yes. And when we were younger, I would trade Star Wars cards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. people would tease us and be like, Star Wars is fucking for nerds. Yeah. And now it's completely the, the roles are reversed, and yeah. all the nerds that like Star Wars are just like, it's kind of gone to shit now. Yeah. Um, uh, say what you will about prequels, they're bad, but they're original. George mm-hmm. Lucas at least wants to inject originality. Ryan Johnson wants to do the same. So I don't care if they're bad movies, I can. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I kind of respect the fact that they're pushing yeah. a new direction. Yes. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. And it blew up in Ryan Johnson's face. He he will say that outright. I had a mm. great time, um, no regrets. Yeah, 
And then he and then he comes out of you know the, like he got raked over the fucking coals with that film. Yeah, which and is then, unfair. And then he comes out with Knives Out, and it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, like that, that's yeah, you're still great. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the state of it all. Like, mm-hmm. There's a portion of Hollywood that is blowing up, and it's a fucking embarrassment. It's like I consider it to be. This is my answer to the problem because I would be connected to Star Wars and I'd watch it die. There's a whole bunch of franchises where I'm just growing up. Oh, dude, like, um, it, it's like you look at what's happened, like, with the Alien franchise. Indiana uh, Jones. Indiana Jones. Uh, well, I mean, there's only one and a half bad Indiana Jones films. What, Temple of Doom's kind of bad? Kind of bad. I rewatched it's it. Bad at, a the, couple, at the dinner scene. Yeah, I, a couple, I watched it a couple of months ago, and this is like, this, this has some great stuff, but also some real, ugh. But, um, like, Die Hard... Terminator, Alien, like all of these franchises that we grew up in that kind of, you know, made us love cinema and movies and stuff. Now, like you look at Terminator, there are more bad Terminator films than there are good ones. And similar, like Aliens teetering on that at the moment, like depending on how you feel about Alien Resurrection. Like, I like that. Yeah. Uh, ish. Um, Die Hard is it, the similar one. Like it's the amount of goodwill yeah. that the population has towards the first films of these franchises is fucking staggering. Like yeah. Star Wars is a freak show right now. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's everybody still loves it because <laughs> yeah. because of the first two films. We need it to become Terminator, where you just like no one like they made it's like James Cameron's back and we're doing this, and no one gave a shit with Terminator Dark Fate and it fucking bombed, and you're like. Good. Yeah. Let it fucking die. Like it's so crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So it should have never been beyond Terminator Two. Yeah, and even Terminator Two is I have massive issues with. <laughs> Lol. Yeah. No, it's fun. It's it's super fun, but like it is, it's no Terminator. That's right. I, I also prefer Terminator. But I thought to myself, well, I got to I got to do something because I was getting upset for a while. This is a couple of years ago. This was mm. like. When Force Awakens came out, and then you like, immediately have like Rose, like the I'm not gonna Rouge get, one. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm not going to get Empire ever again. Yeah. Um, I'm just not going to get. It's not going to happen. No. Um, so I thought, well, what do you do? And I thought I was watching a, a little video with George Carlin, <laughs> and he and he goes, you know, like the you get it when you're born, you get a ticket to the freak show. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. And what what does he do? Well, he kind of steps to the sideline and just watches it. Yeah, and just takes notes and goes like, "Oh my goodness, this is fucking crazy." America's totally fucking crazy. But in this case, I figure I got a ticket to the freak show, and that's Disney, and that's like that's you know that's Star Wars and fucking Disney Plus and what they're doing to multiple franchises. Mm. And all you, all I can do is I go, I'm gonna divorce myself, yeah. and enjoy a twenty four shit. This, this is and my. All I'm yeah. gonna do is go like take notes and go like, oh my goodness, live action Aladdin, what a fucking freak show. Yeah, and this is my big thing. Like, you see a bunch of YouTube channels and a bunch of people that we're friends with, like, really wallow in the negativity and they're like, look at this, they're bastardizing them, blah, 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 and you're just like, that's cool. Like, and I, like, you've summed up perfectly. You, you can sidestep that and just watch that and be like, huh, that's weird. So anyway, what's Neon and A24 do? Like, yeah. focus on... The goods, like the the opposite of that, where it's like there is an amazing groundswell of great art and cinema being made in somewhat mainstream upcoming studios. Yeah. And if you just focus your perspective over there, you're gonna have a fucking wonderful time seeing shit like Uncut Gems, The Farewell, The Death yeah. of Dick Long, fucking like yeah. 
everything that came out that was good this year. That's right. I think that's the answer. Scorsese's grind. It's like, if you want to go and expand your brain and watch cinema expanding, mm-hmm. don't do the popcorn shit. Do everything else. Yeah. If look. you want to watch film stagnate, go to a, a Disney production. Yeah. So Which is, you've got to just divorce yourself. Yeah. And uh, kind of look at the f- the fringe, which thankfully to like I mentioned, the box office of eight of uh, Uncut Gems is kind of not becoming the fringe anymore. Hopefully, so I'm excited to see what 2020 is going to bring. There's some amazing shit coming up, like fucking new Wes Anderson movie. Oh yeah, like um, Great. yeah. I mean, God, a new David Fincher film. Like you know, all these artists who have kind of been gone for a couple of years are all coming back, and yeah. it's. An exciting year. Yeah, so. that's it's it's been good. I yeah, cinema is always amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you get upset, just sidestep, take notes on the freak show. Yes, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, but I guess unless you got anything else, that might wrap us up. I think we're done. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, if you'd like to, we'd love to actually hear what were some of your favourite movies of the year. Um, so please let us know. Send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com or you can just uh, hit me up on Twitter at CriterionQuest. And yeah, we'll love to hear what you really enjoyed this year. What were some of your favourites, your standouts? Uh, let us know. Um, and we'll be back in a fortnight's time back into the collection with Tunes of Glory. Okay. Yeah. But um, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Tom. See you next year. Yeah. Happy New Year's. Yeah.